Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in the study that we're doing through the New Testament. We're going through it a chapter at a time. And uh, right now we're working on the book of Luke. And, uh, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 14 today. So uh, I'm looking forward to doing that with you. In, um, in our study in Luke, remember the, the basics, uh, just, just the basic reviews so that you have some stuff that sticks in your mind about Luke. Um, uh, Luke wrote this book and he wrote the book of Acts and we're studying them together. We went ahead and did John out of sequence so we could work through Luke and Acts together. Um, he's writing to someone who is called Theophilus, which means lover of God. We think it was an actual person, but it could just mean for all the lovers of God. So it's still coming at us, which is a good thing. Um, it's written to a Gentile audience. And, and so, again, it's, it's got a lot of impact for us. Um, and Luke brings up a lot of points, and he talks a lot about how to get saved and what that looks like in the process. And then, um, as far as Gospels goes, other than those differences, it's very much like Matthew, come on, microphone, and Mark. In the, we saw that John was quite different in his presentation, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, are, are fairly similar in the recording of events that take place. And in the chapters like 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 still, um, Luke is really making a point. And he keeps up the same point over and over and over each one of these chapters. You've got to choose to follow Jesus. And he, he keeps uh, on bringing these illustrations of Jesus making this point to the crowds. Although, at around chapter 9, he started directing most of his teaching to his disciples who had chosen to follow him. Um, and so we've, we've looked at a lot of the characteristics of the life of a disciple. But <clears throat> in the last couple of chapters, we've, we've talked about sort of how people, um, even when pressed into making a decision, sort of um, try and cloud the issue. And... Um, Last Sunday, if you were here, I talked about, it still happens, they, they, the enemy tries to get us distracted. And he is at work trying to distract people from making this choice. This is the big choice, the big question. I told you the big question in Sunday's message, and it's posed by, you know, uh, Jesus is, who do you say that I am? And this is out there now before the crowds, and, and they, they like what they see, and they like hanging around, but they don't make a decision or they choose not to make a decision, or whatever. And ultimately, when it comes to salvation, there's no it's a yes or no sort of situation. Um, you have to choose Jesus. That's what you have. Presented with, presented with that information, you need to choose to follow Jesus. And so, as we move into chapter 14, we'll, still, we'll see some of that in play here still. Um, we'll also see that the Pharisees are continually trying to trap him. They're going to set up another trap for him today. Uh, in, in this message and uh, in this part of the, the scripture. And so we'll see that at work as well. So um, let's read Luke chapter 14. It's uh, there in your notes. It's only 35 verses, so it's, it's probably in a font that you can actually read, uh, which is good. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can certainly read along in your Bibles, or you can pick up a Bible in the row and read that. I'm reading out of the NIV, which is what those notes are in, but if your translation is different, that's good. It will just be a little different. But let's... Uh, Let's look at Luke chapter 14, verses 1 and following. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. 
There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. You don't hear that term very much anymore. What's that mean? Does he drop things at dinner? That would be dropsies. (laughs) No. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Uh, I looked it up. I didn't. I was like, dropsy? What's dropsy? I couldn't remember. It's like edema. It's like a swelling um, uh, and a holding of, of water around in the soft tissues and stuff. So not a good situation. All right, that's what's going on there. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. And then he asked them, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, Will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. Are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table had heard him, uh, had heard with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who'd be invite, who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, Everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. 
But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither fit it is neither it is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And blessed be the word of the Lord. There's some interesting stuff in the Bible, isn't there? Mm. Okay. So, um, again, in, in the way that we're running through this, obviously we can't get to everything in that chapter, but there's some things that I want you to see in the flow of what's taking place. And the first of those things would be in the first six verses of Luke 14. And what happens is the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus. And so... Um, We've already seen recorded that Jesus heals on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees don't care for it. Um, and remember, the, the ruler of the Pharisee in the last chapter, when we saw Jesus healing someone on the Sabbath, was so annoyed that he said to his people, hey, there's six days for things like that to happen. You know, come then. Don't come on this day. And Jesus was, you know, incredulous about the whole process and brings that up. So now they're going to trap him because this is way against what they think is supposed to be. And so the, the sad thing, again, when you read this, if you, if, if you stop and think about it, is they, so he's invited to the home of a Pharisee and across from where they seat him, they've seated this man with dropsy, this man who needs healing. And then they watch. They just watch. See, the saddest thing is, and... and to me, and this is what you got to catch, is, see, the Pharisees believe that Jesus is healing these people, and we've, we've looked at the thing, they, they have this sort of understanding that God's behind it somehow, and yet because it's not the way they want it or like it, they, they're trying to trap Jesus so they can kill him. Um, that's ultimately the deal. They've just had it with him and what he's doing, and because he doesn't do it the way they want or think it should be, they're trying to have him killed. And so understand this group of people, and so so important to hang on to this, they, weren't, they didn't start out evil. They started out with good intentions. That's what always happens. The Pharisees' intentions, you've heard me say this, but you need to keep it. They were, they were initially brought, they got together in order to protect Judaism from being... Hellenized, which means the Greeks were, were basically coming in and changing everything, and they didn't want that to happen to Judaism, which was a good idea. But in order to protect it, they started writing rules. And once you get into that process, you lose the heart of it. And, and over time, hundreds and hundreds of rules were in place, lots of them having to do with the Sabbath, and, and there was no room for people to be people anymore. And they didn't care about people anymore, which is the saddest thing. Because every time they try and trap Jesus, almost every time, they'll just use some person as a pawn that they don't care about. And here's this man who's sick. And they're just using him. They could care less about this guy. They could care less about the fact that, that Jesus can heal him. They're just trying to trap Jesus. And that's the saddest part of this thing. It's, it's how often we miss God in, in getting so stuck in, in the way that we, we think it needs to be done, that we miss the heart of God. We, we always have to wrestle with that, all of us, because it's so easy to miss this stuff. And so, 
So here's Jesus, and here's this guy sitting across from him, and they're watching. Well, you know what Jesus is going to do. He's going to be Jesus. Wouldn't you expect him to be Jesus? That's, that's the good thing about Jesus. He's going to be Jesus. I, I love that about him. And he just looks at the guy, and he looks at these people, and he doesn't care what the Pharisee. I mean, he's, he just is there for God. And he reaches over and touches them, and boom, he's healed. It's cool. That's, that's a good dinner, by the way. <laughs> he's healed. And, and then he's, G, Jesus actually preempts it, and he looks at them. And he says, I thought we'd covered this issue in the last thing. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And you know what he says? Yeah, boom, this guy's healed. The, the very one who came in response to everything says, yes, the Lord of the Sabbath just demonstrates what's lawful. It's, it's anything that honors God, that anything that demonstrates the compassion of the heart of God is part of this process. And so um, he's, he reaches over and he's healed. And so this is the, the, the big thing, to see what happens. And I think it's the, the point that Luke is making all the time, is, is what happens if we, we get stuck on, on the things that we think ought to be instead of keeping our hearts open to God and, and asking Him all the time to show us what we're supposed to do. And that ultimately, God cares about broken people. So, so whenever we start to... And we're going to be talking about that this weekend. Whenever our process doesn't account for broken people, we're missing the mark somehow. Because that's who God cares about. Then you see several times in that verse who he says, go and get the, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the, the broken. And, and that's who he's after. And that's us. We're the broken. I mean, we're the broken who know Jesus, and he's healing us, and ultimately we get completely unbroken when he comes back and gets us. But we're just broken people like the rest of them who, hopefully who know Jesus, and that's the difference. And so if, rather than start thinking that we're better than the broken people, we just need to realize we're broken just like you. You need Jesus just like us so that he can begin the process of making us whole. So that's the, that's the trap, and you can see that, that Jesus doesn't fall for the trap. And then he begins to teach once again, moving towards this group of people and giving them the, the whole thing You've got to make a choice. There's something that you have to choose in the process. You need to choose to follow Jesus. And so he begins to talk in, in uh, verses 7 through 14 about the best seats and, and people at this thing positioning and competing for the seats of honor. And, and so there's a great contrast to Jesus who doesn't care what the religious people think to now what's going on because this is sort of these people caring absolutely about what other people think. And it's, it's the trap that we can fall into because it will alter the way that we proceed through life if we get consumed by what we think people think. Because you, you have to, you live this life to please an audience of one. That's the whole deal. Him. Along the way, as you're trying to please Him, you know, hopefully you'll be a blessing to the people around you. But if you try and live to please everyone, you'll never you never have life. So it doesn't work in the process. And so um, he, he's talking about, he says to him, listen, don't take the best seats, take the worst seats. And then, you know, if the host wants to bring you up front, he will. And if not, somebody else will get the front seats and that's okay. That's all good. You can see here, like, nobody wants the front seats. 
It's because I spit when I speak. I know that. <laughs> I went to this church one time in Cuba when I was doing ministry over there. And uh, we went unannounced. We, we just felt led to go to this particular church. It was way off the beaten track. It was one of my first uh, missionary journeys over there. And so we show up at this church and... Um, we just quietly sit in the back row because the church had already started and we didn't want to make a fuss and they didn't know we were coming or anything. We didn't know any of these people. And so we just sat in the back row. And, and, and actually in Cuba, the back row is usually good. There's usually close to the door and there's some sort of breeze there because the churches there aren't air conditioned. And, and there may be a fan, but usually not. And they're hot. But, but anyway, we, we came in and we snuck into the back. We were fine. We were sitting back there. We weren't and and sure enough, within because it's kind of unusual for uh, I think there were six of us, four or six of us, and obviously not Cubans um, showing up at the place. And so they came and they and they they after they realized we were there, we could see this sort of hubbub, and they brought us up and sat us in the front row, cleared out who was ever there. You gone? Here you go. And it was a very honoring thing, but it was hilarious because. They, they had this big band, and right in front of us, like two feet away, was the trumpet section, once they moved us up. <laughs> so sometimes the front seats aren't cracked out, you know, what you think they're going to be. Anyway, um, the, uh, the thought here is, how are we living life? Are we living consumed by the desire to always be sort of self-promoting and trying to get... Or are we? is it okay to say, you know what, I, I just... It's okay. It's God, wherever you want me, the back row's fine, the front row's fine, the middle row's fine, I don't care. In life, Lord, I just want to be where you want me to be and do what you want me to do. You take it from there. And that's the attitude that he, he's telling his disciples they need to shoot at. And we need to care about other people. We don't want to... We don't want to get ahead by pushing other people out of the way. Um, we want that to be something that God does. And that's very counterculture. Because often in our culture, you, you, you step on anybody that you need to to get where you want to go. And that's not how Jesus suggests that we live life. And that's uh, you know, what's happening in those things. Remember, we're, we're to live lives that please God. That's what it's all about. And so in our actions, you know, we can ask ourselves all the time, is this, is this how I... Am I, is my life pleasing God or is it all about me or am I just trying to please others? Where am I stuck? And so um, we move in that process. Or am, or am I trying to, you know, do I care about what everybody else thinks or is it, is it more important to me than what God thinks? Because that's what should be more important to you. And, and yet it's something we have to work through all the time. Then this whole wedding feast invitation and what's going on with that in verses 15 through 24. And he's talking to the crowd again, and in this, in this illustration, he's talking about people who are too busy in their lives to respond to God, basically, to this amazing invitation. And, and they use as excuses the two things that people often use as excuse, money and pleasure. Um, that's, why that's why they can't get to and respond to the invitation of God, money and pleasure. Um, again, just as a flashback story, I remember the first time that the gospel was ever presented to me. And I was 19 years old. And, and uh, 
Yeah, 19 years old. I didn't grow up in a church, so I and and I had my roommate in in the first year of college had someone come in. You probably heard me say this to the room one day who had met him, and he was a he was a campus crusade for Christ or something. And uh, my roommate comes back and says, "Hey, I met this guy in the campus. He's going to come over and tell me about Jesus." I'm like, "What here?" <sighs> so he came in, and I was busy, and I sort of I I didn't catch enough of it to make a difference. And, and anyway. That was the only, and I always thought that was, that was really weird to me. That's really weird, man. He didn't want to be or anything. Okay, so, I'm way off track. Next story, things happen in my life, and, and, this, this, and I'm not going to get into it. This, this huge event happens, and this guy who has demonstrated to me that, that he's a good guy by bringing me a sandwich every day to work for the, for the entire summer, um, presents to me the gospel. And he does it well. It makes sense. We spent hours pouring over the Bible. Uh, he brought me to a place where I needed to make a decision. And I knew I needed to make a decision. And yet, I said, no, I'm not going to do that right now. And the, main, the whole reason was, I didn't see how people had fun if they were Christians. I couldn't even imagine what fun looked like because it was so contrary to my life. I'm like, dude, I'd have to give up everything. And, and so, and the answer, and that, we're going to get into that. Yeah, everything. It would have been so worth it. Because when I finally did six years later, it was so worth it to give up everything. But at the time, that was my resistance. Man, I don't get it. I mean, I got it, but it was like, but how do you have fun? Because my definition of fun didn't fit into the Bible. Um, but it was a flawed definition. So, so the, the, the thing is, this invitation has been extended. And ultimately, when you read through that illustration, it's been extended now to the whole world. It's, it's out there. The invitation is out there. And everyone has an opportunity to respond, but many people don't respond because they're just too busy to see how they can work that in. Or they're too preoccupied with money and pleasure to respond to Jesus. And if they don't respond, they don't get into the banquet. And then there's this, in the last few verses, in 25 through 33, I thought I'd mention this, because he's again talking about the choice, and it sounds weird to me, because Jesus said, well, you've got to hate your family, basically. Doesn't seem, doesn't make sense, does it? What? And in looking into that whole, um, the wording there, the, the terminology is a little different from how we use the term now, and it has more to do with a legal claim, is that you... You'd have to be willing to disconnect yourself from a legal claim to any sort of inheritance that might come from being a part of your family. You'd have to be willing to let that go. And some people weren't. See, they, and, and remember, you've you got to be willing to give up everything. It doesn't mean that you actually have to give up everything. There, and there's a significant difference. When you come to, it's a, well, you need to be willing to give it all up. And then you don't usually have to. Just it changes at that point because if you can't give it up, then it controls you. If you can give it up, then you can control it, and it's a big difference. And so the the process here was, you know, would you be willing to give up everything to follow me? If 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 would you be willing to follow me even if your family was against it? The answer would have to be yeah. At that point, I have to go yeah, um, because I want to. I know that that's the that that's what needs to happen, and so. Um, this is the process, and, and would you be willing to give up everything? 
You know, and, and so, you know, my own life, I can see where clearly I wasn't ready to give it up at 19. And I'm, I'm thankful I got another opportunity at 25 to, to go through the process. But by then, God had given me a lot of mercy that he might not see his mercy. <laughs> Tender mercy would have been taken at 19. It would have saved me a lot of mess. Uh, <laughs> by the time I was 25, I was like, yes! <laughs> New start, please. And that's sort of the basics of, uh, of Luke 14. It runs us right up to 8 o'clock, so we'll, we'll finish there. If you have prayer requests, get them together. If you're watching by video, thank you for watching. And uh, if you're in Williston, they'll pray for you there. If you need anything, you can call us, write us, email us. We'll do whatever we can to take care of you. Thank you for watching, and we're going to here, pray here together as a group. Pass me up your prayer requests.